This, uh, this past week, I understand that North uh, Korea launched another uh, missile, intercontinental ballistic missile, which they have now the capability of doing. They also have the atomic bomb. Uh, they can, I, I guess that's, this is the question, can they put it on a nuclear, I mean, can they put the nuclear uh, bomb on a intercontinental ballistic missile and actually fire it and it be successful? And so I guess that's in question, I don't know. But uh, the point that I'm bringing out to you here is that when all of this kind of technology uh, to be able to destroy an entire city at one, in one bomb and being able to launch it without a plane even flying over and so forth, to be able to do all those kind of things in the hands of a rogue nation becomes a very dangerous thing. And we're seeing that now with North Korea. We are seeing that now being developed in, uh, in, in, uh, in Iran. And all these things are coming around to pass. And with all the other nations that who have that atomic power, such as uh, Pakistan now has it, India has it, uh, Afghanistan is trying to get that. So when you have all of these rogue nations, I call them rogue nations in the sense that they can be uh, controlled by leaders who do not have any sense of responsibility. When they can be controlled by that, well, then anything can happen. And I mentioned to you last week about how that uh, Iran has the element of the Muslim religion in their midst. Uh, they're, among the, they're called the Shiites in Iran, which, are the, which is Muslim, the Islam religion. They're called the Shiite Muslims. And among the Shiites is a branch of them called the 12th Imam. The Imam is the leader of the, of the Islam or the Muslim religion uh, to the Iranians, Imam. And uh, he is the one who lived back in 900, supposed to have gone up in a mountain and never died and left word with the last man who had come back to report his well-being and uh, said to tell the people when the world is on fire, when it is in chaos and total confusion and ready for Islam to conquer all the world, then I'll come back. So to the 12th Imam branch of the Muslim religion among the Shiites, uh, this is a very important thing. One of the prime ministers of Iran here, I don't know, probably a couple of decades ago, uh, was a 12th Imam Muslim. And, uh, and he sort of pushed things in that direction. He was reckless, daredeviling, daredeviling did not care, and so forth. And this is what uh, we're going to be seeing more and more of today. This is why that we should be concerned. And the reason I'm talking about it is because many Americans are just, we're going to sleep. We're, we're just, you know, we look at the news and you finally you get bored and you say, let's go look at something else. And so you look around, of course, let me just tell you something, there's nothing on TV worth looking at, folks. It's just, just garbage after garbage, it just gets worse and worse. But people are trying to find something that they can say, oh, look at. And so uh, this is about where we are. We're looking for other entertainment, people doing stuff. People are getting crazy, doing crazy things and everything like that. You've got a younger generation going up. They don't hardly know what church is all about, except for the, the wonderful uh, Christians and the strong element of apostolics that's in the land. These young people are going to shake things. And I think, and they are, they are. And when, 
We see all that uh, 30 some odd thousand young people that was in Indianapolis last, a few weeks ago, and all those young people there, it's there, they're there because they believe in the faith, they believe in the truth, they believe in the word of God, and they want to be a part of this end time revival and move of God and whatever's going on. So you got two elements. You got the indifference, you got the sleepy heads. This is why we're called the Laodicean church because the Laodicean church became lukewarm. The Lord said, I would have you either be cold or hot. It, and uh, it's, like a, it's like coffee or tea. You want, you want iced tea to be cold. Or you want hot tea to be hot, you know, or coffee to be hot, what, so forth. And so I'll have you hot or cold. If you're not, I'll spew you out of my mouth. And so the Lord is saying, I want you to, I don't want you to be indifferent. And so we are in that situation. We're in that mode of life and so forth. Now, today I want to talk to you about a little bit further here. And I'm just going to just recap very quickly here what we talked about last week. We talked about the, uh, the end time, and we talked about the judgments of God being handed over to Jesus. We talked to you about the scriptures in St. John 5:22 and verse 27. Those two verses in St. John where Jesus said that all the judgments are being are given to the Son, giving over to Jesus Christ. So that God is going to judge the world, but it's going to be, excuse me, <coughs> through Jesus Christ. Amen. Not a second person, but a second or another manifestation of the one God. God is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And so God is one. And so this one God is in Jesus Christ, and he is going to be over all the world. And so we have these scriptures. In Revelations chapter 5, and we talked about this last week, verses 6 and 7, it talks about the lamb slain coming before he who sat on the throne and taking the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. The book in this fifth chapter of Revelation is the, a book that is sealed with seven seals. It is a book of judgments. And when those seals are broken, the judgments of God begin to come on the earth. And John said, I looked around and I didn't see anybody worthy to take the book and to break the seals and to bring on the judgments of God until the lamb showed up and took the book out of the hand. The lamb is a symbolic, this is, this is all a symbolic scene in that fifth chapter, is symbolic of Jesus Christ taking on the responsibility to bring judgment upon the earth. And so it's not a separate person, it is simply a different manifestation, so it's in symbolic term. A fellow said to me one time, he said, uh, that's the literal scene where, you know, Jesus is taking a book. I said, the Bible says he was a lamb. I said, the Bible says we do not yet know how we should appear. We should be like him. So if Jesus Christ looks like a lamb, I said, then we're going to all look like lambs in heaven. Heaven will be a big sheep ranch, <laughs> you know. And so I was repeating something I'd heard my old pastor say way back there. So this is a symbolic scene of, of Jesus receiving that power because he became man, God became man, informed Jesus Christ, and he suffered. The Bible said that he suffered more than any man. Jesus Christ suffered. Uh, twice in my life, I have read the crucifixion and been touched by the spirit of the agony that Jesus must have gone through. That happened to me years ago when I was a young man, and I heard a message preached by Brother Tenney. And I was so touched by the crucifixion that I just wept. I could almost feel, feel the suffering and not too long ago, I experienced it again in reading those verses of scripture 
how terrible that Jesus, what he went through, the humiliation, the intimidation, and so forth. We could talk for hours on that. It's all recorded in the Word of God, both in the Old Testament and also in the New Testament, the Gospels thoroughly. And uh, so I tell you that so that you understand here that Jesus took that on himself to allow himself to suffer. Therefore, he is worthy. He was without sin. And so at Calvary, he took upon you and himself, you and me, and took our sins upon himself. And because he did that, he is worthy then to bring the judgments. And uh, the judgments was, uh, will, will come through Jesus Christ. Uh, I heard a, let me just say this. This is hard for a lot of people to understand. But if, uh, if Jesus is so, so willing to save us, and he's a savior, if he's so willing to save us, how can his, his judgments be so severe when they come in the book of Revelation? And Jesus breaks the seals. How is it that Jesus can be such a severe judge and yet be so tender and merciful to us today? I heard a story years ago, years ago, about a young law, a lawyer that was traveling through southern Illinois. And he, uh, he stopped and probably at a junior store, got a drink or something, looking across the street, and there was a lake over there, and he was just standing there drinking, eating some crackers or something. He heard a cry for help. He looked out and there was a boy out in the water drowning. He, he ran down to that lake, over to that lake, crossed the road, kicked off his shoes, pulled off his coat, swam out, saved that boy, brought him in. And his family thanked him and so forth. He got in his car and went on his way. That lawyer became a judge later on. And some 20, 30 years, 30 years later, uh, he was a judge in Chicago. And he, there was a trial that was going on, a young man that had been brought before in that trial for murder. And uh, the, the jury convicted him, said he was found guilty, and finally it was up to the judge to sentence that young, that man. And the man stood before him and he said, do you have anything to say before I pronounce sentence upon you? And the man looked at the judge and said, your honor, do you remember me? And he said, no, I don't. He said, I'm the boy that you saved that was drowning many years ago in that lake in Southern Illinois. I was drowning and you saved me then and I'm asking you to save me today. And the judge looked at him and says, then I was your savior, but today I'm your judge. Now I'm gonna tell all of you this today that today Jesus is our savior. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. I'm speaking from my heart here. Today is the day of salvation. And uh, anybody can get saved today. I don't care what your background is, where you came from. I don't care what the devil may ever tell you that you have no chance or no hope. You do. Today, though, is the day of salvation. But there will come a time in which the door is shut. Just like Noah's ark, the door was shut. Noah didn't shut the door. It was God who shut the door. And just like the door on that, uh, that ark was shut, there will come a day in which the Lord will shut the door and that nobody can be saved after that. And when it does, it is judgment time. And Jesus Christ, who has been our savior, now will become our judge and so forth. And so Jesus Christ will judge the world and, and he will pronounce that judgment upon us. This is an interesting thing to take note of. Uh, in the book of Revelation, the last place that Jesus' name, Jesus, is mentioned in Revelations is chapter 1, verse 17. In the beginning of it, first part of it, until 
you get way over in, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 1, verse 9, until you get to chapter 12 in Revelations and verse 17. When you get to that verse, the name Jesus is mentioned again. So for all of these verses, the name of Jesus is never mentioned. It talks about all the judgments and so forth. The reason that it's not mentioned, listen to me closely, is that the name Jesus means Savior. It means Jehovah hath become salvation. Jehovah is our Savior. His name should be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So the name Jesus means Savior. So starting in the beginning of the book of Revelation, uh, the name Jesus is mentioned, is talked about, and John spoke about it and said, uh, I who had the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's where it's mentioned. Until you get over into the 12th chapter, and when you get into the 12th chapter of the book of Revelation, you're dealing with the restoration of Israel. No more Gentiles are saved after the 11th chapter, the first 11 chapter, 11 verse 1. No more Gentiles are ever saved after that period of time. So what I'm trying to point out to you here is that the name Jesus is taken out because Jesus means Savior. God is not a Savior now he, or then. He will be a judge. So what I'm talking to all of you and I today about is that we want to be ready to go when Jesus is ready to come back and get us, and it won't be long. Now, the next major event that's going to happen, of course, is the uh, coming of the Lord. And as I mentioned last week, we went on into Revelation chapter 6, and we talked about the judgments of God. I won't elaborate on that except to say in chapter 6, it speaks about one-fourth one of the world population dying, being killed, how they will, and so forth. I won't go into detail on that now. In chapter 9, he mentions about a third of the population that's left. So when you talk about the fourth in the sixth chapter and the third in the ninth chapter that will die, when you get through chapter 9 of the book of Revelation, You've got half of the world population that will have died from war. They will have died from famine. They would have died from the beasts of the field. They would die from diseases. It goes on and on. But people will just die, and it will all happen because God will allow the judgments of God to fall and so forth. Now, I, uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about what is the next thing to happen because when Jesus went away into heaven, he pronounced that the, his disciples were to look for his coming. Now, when would his coming be? It didn't matter how long it would be. It would be for whenever it would be. Nobody knows the day or the hour, and I'm going to give you some verses and scriptures here we can look at in just a moment. But uh, there is a parable that Jesus gave one time. He talked about a man who went in a far country, gave gifts to his servants, and he said, now occupy till I come. And the Bible says that the servant went away and after a long time, the master door or the, or the Lord, after a long time, the Lord returned. After a long time. It says that in the scripture, 25th chapter of Matthew. After a long time, the Lord returns. And so I just want to say here today that it's been nearly 2,000 years and in the Lord or right around 2,000 years. I don't know where we are. The calendars have been changed and time is off a little bit. God's time is a little different than our time, so don't go by your own time. I know we're in 2017 right now, but uh, what is God's time? It's somewhere maybe more of, uh, slower, longer, or shorter, I don't know. But it says a, a day with the Lord is as a thousand days. 
and a thousand, a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day with the Lord, because time means nothing to God. We know that. And uh, so the Bible even tells us, you know, in Hosea 6, 2, after two days, he will restore Israel. And Israel is restored starting in chapter 11 of the book of Revelation. And I'm talking about fully restored. I know they have, you know, they've got a Zionist movement going now, and they've reestablished Israel as a nation. But the restoration of Israel by God fully and completely will happen in that uh, 11th chapter. Now, I want to talk to you about the next event to happen. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go with me to uh, uh, John 14. And I'm deliberately taking a little time here this morning to talk to you about this because this is something that every one of us that want to be saved must be ready for because the judgments of God will come on the heels of the coming of the Lord. And here's what it says. I'm going to read here John 14, 1 through 3. If you want to look in your Bibles, and I would encourage you, if you don't have your Bibles, to make sure you take notes or take down, write these scriptures down. Uh, we may never pass this way again. You know what I'm saying? You never know when you will ever do it again in this detail. But look in 14, 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I wouldn't have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. If you've got your Bible, and don't be afraid to mark in your Bible because that, that paper and that ink it belongs to you. You're not going to change the word of God. So don't be afraid to mark in your Bible. He says, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there ye may be also. Now, this is a promise from Jesus Christ to his people, to his church, everything. Uh, I'm going to follow through with this, but before I do, I want to just mention here that Jesus identified himself about this when in verse 6 he said, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Folks, you can't be saved any other way but through Jesus Christ. Believe me. Now they can say I'm a Buddhist or I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Shintoist or name any religion you want to, a Taoist or Buddhist or I mean or whatever religion you want to. Uh, there's all kinds of different religions. You can say I'm this and I'm this and that. None of those will save you. Some people believe that heaven is a, is a hub and, and we're on the outer skirts like a spoke, like a wheel. And every spoke is a religion and just get on your favorite spoke and you get you wind up at the hub. You know, so it's not like that. We've got to be saved through Jesus Christ. Everybody understand what I'm saying? So Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And then the Father, he identifies in verse 7, if ye had known me, you should have known my Father also. From henceforth you have known him and have seen him. Now here's where Jesus, without any question, identifies God that is in him, not another person, a second person. Philip saith unto verse 8, Father uh, saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it suffices that Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. Because God, you know, is a spirit. We can't see God, but we can see Jesus Christ. God is in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, the Bible says. And then he goes on to say, and how sayest thou then show us the Father? Now in verse 10, he says it over again, believest thou not that I am in the Father 
and the Father in me. I'm in the Father, the Father in me. If you want to identify it like this, uh, if you had one light in the middle of this room and that was the only light we had, just one bulb up there, okay? And, and that light in that bulb would fill this room full of light so that the bulb is in the light, but the light is also in the bulb. So Jesus Christ, God was in Christ, reconciled, but God is everywhere. There's no place God is not. So God is in Christ, Christ is in God. Praise the Lord. And that's not just double talk. That is a specific thing. So he says in verse 10, believe it's not that, but I'm in the Father, the Father in me, the words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works sake, if you can't believe that what I'm saying, believe me because of what you see that I'm doing, it is the works of the Father that dwelleth in me and so forth. Now I'm going to move on here with this subject about the coming of the Lord because I want to show you here that in the scriptures, the Lord has promised that he's coming back for his church. The next major event is for the Lord to come back for his church and for his people. Uh, I'm going to have you turn to the book of Acts too. If you look at Acts chapter one, this is when Jesus ascended into heaven and it was it was right on the heels of the last thing that he said to them. The last thing Jesus said to those disciples, go, in, go into Jerusalem and wait until you receive the Holy Ghost and the, the power of God. And he said the Holy Ghost will come and so forth. And so here's what he says in what happened in verse 9 of chapter 1 of Acts. Acts 1, 9. On the heels, Jesus just got through speaking. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up. All right, and he said to them, I'm going to go away. And as you see me go away, also I shall come again. Now, he, it says here, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. And if you got your Bibles right in there, angels. They were angels that were there. They were looking like this. And all of a sudden, when they couldn't see him anymore, have anybody ever seen a rocket launch and you watched it till it just... You couldn't tell it from one of the stars up there. Have you ever seen that? They had some night watches years ago and everything. And you watch until they, they finally you look around like this, you know. Well, this is what happened to them. They saw him go up till they couldn't see him no more. And they looked around and on them, there's two guys in white apparel standing there. And these men weren't just standing there looking up. They were looking at them. And <clears throat> these men said to them, uh, verse 11, which also said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into the heavens? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Praise the Lord. And that was their message to him. You're going to see him come back just like you see him, you saw him go away. So what I'm, what I'm trying to say to you is that this is the next promise of the Lord. It was the last promise of God given to those disciples. I'm coming back. And let me just say this, I don't care if it's, it's been 2,000 years, he's going to come back. Why? Because he said he would. Praise the Lord. You say, Brother Myers, how do we know those men didn't lie about that? Are you kidding me? Every one of them gave their life. Every one of them willingly gave their life for this gospel. You know, John didn't, he died, I understand, just a regular old age, but they tried to take his life. They threw him in a pot of boiling oil and he escaped from it and survived so that God could eventually give him the book of Revelation in the Isle of Patmos. But what I'm trying to say, they would not given their life if this had not been true. They saw him go away, he said, he's coming back. 
Well, they didn't live to see the end of their lives, but that was okay. They knew he's coming back, praise the Lord. And he's coming back, praise the Lord, for those who are either dead, either dead or alive in Christ. So the promise was given. I want to read another verse of scripture to you, and this is where it describes, it describes this particular event here, what we call the rapture. And I want you to look with me in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is a very solid verse of scripture here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And uh, look with us in verse 16. I'm going to save time. It's, it reads a little bit more of it ahead of it, but I'm going to read 16, save time, 16 down through 18. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore comfort one another with these words. Now these are writings here that's found in the scriptures uh, by, that Paul wrote here in Thessalonians to the Thessalonian church. I'm going to read some verses of scripture found over here in verse 15, uh, in uh, chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. Paul writing to the Corinthians gives them somewhat the same hope. I'm reading 1551 if you have that. 1 Corinthians 1551. And this whole 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians is all about uh, the raptures, about the resurrection. And Paul is defending the, the truth that there will be a resurrection because people have a hard time believing, can that really happen? Is that really going to take place? You know, is God going to really raise the dead? And it's hard to believe. Can I just say something here? I'm going to talk to you just from my heart here a moment. This stuff about the dead. They got, they got a thing on TV now, uh, the, the walking dead. I was in the mall the other day, and they got a booth now called the walking dead. You go inside and sit down, I guess you see, you experience it. Listen, that stuff's of the devil. I'm serious. When Jesus went to Gadaria, and he got off, he, there, was a, 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 there was a man that was crazy that came down to meet him. And the man came out of the graveyard. He had no clothes on. And the guy came down out of the graveyard. That's where he lived in the graveyard because he was crazy. He was full of demons. And the demons all hung out in the graveyard. You know why that the devil likes to mess with this thing about the dead? Because it's a mockery of the resurrection. I'm going to show you about what the real resurrection is, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the resurrection, when Jesus rose from the dead, he did not have the same he did not have the same appearance as he did when he was crucified. His beard was plucked out. He had, you know, cuts on his head. The only scars he had left was in his hand and in his side. He said, look at my hand and my side. These were, this me. But when they saw him, they didn't recognize him. Uh, Mary Magdalene did not recognize him in the garden. She thought he was the gardener because he had a resurrected body. When he, when he arose, he had a glorified body. And when the, and the re resurrection happens, we will have a glorified body. I'm just saying here, don't ever mess around and ever look at that mess. That is filthy. It is dirty. It is of Satan. It is satanic. And don't ever have anything to do with that stuff. It's a mockery. It's, it's, it's the devil trying. So that when you say one day there's going to be the resurrection of the dead, people in their minds think of something like that. And it, it's a turnoff. 
You understand what I'm trying to tell you here? So there is the hope of the resurrection we have, and it is beautiful, it's pure, it's wonderful, and this is what the Bible is talking about, and this is what uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is all about. There is, is going to be a resurrection. Jesus Christ was the first fruits of the first resurrection. There's more than one resurrection. There's levels of them. I can show you seven of them in the Bible, in the Old Testament, in the book of Matthew, I mean. Uh, not Matthew, in the book of Revelation. I'm not going to go there for now. But Jesus is the first fruits. And then the rest, and then we are the second resurrection, and we are the rapture of the church. And that's the next major event to take place, and you want to be ready to go when Jesus comes. Here's what it says here in this 51 verse. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. That is, we shall not all die. In other words, Jesus could come tomorrow, and <clears throat> there's nothing that prevents him. But we shall all be changed, whether we are dead or whether we are alive, we'll be changed. In a moment, verse 22, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, and the trump's mentioned here again, <coughs> excuse me, the word trumpet, and it says, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. The dead will put on incorruption and the alive will put on immortality. Uh, here's what I want you to notice here in this 52nd verse is it says here that the trumpet shall sound. This is also mentioned as we just read over in 1 Thessalonians about the trumpet shall sound. There's going to be a trumpet that sounds. What's that got to do? What's, what's the trumpet all about, Brother Myers? Uh, you know, it's, it can be related to two or three things. But there was a series of, of uh, feast days that Jews had. There was the, the Day of Atonement. And at the last one was called the Feast of Trumpets. And it was the one where they would gather in all the ingathering of everything. That was the Passover. That was, the, that was what was called Pentecost or the, uh, the dedication of the, uh, the first fruits. And then there was the last one, which was the end gathering. And then also the Day of Atonement, in which uh, everybody's sins were forgiven and so forth. And so that's wherever the trumpets were sounded for each time, each day, each part of the ceremony and so forth. Also, on the year of Jubilee, which happened every 50 years, and everything that you had ever lost through that year that you had to sell to somebody else was given back to you. If you became very poor and distraught and you had, you know, bad, hard times and you had to sell your farm, your farm would be given back to you by whoever had bought it, would be given back to you in the 50th year. It may not be you, it may be your son or it could even be your grandson, but it was given back to that lineage. And this was called the year of Jubilee. And the Lord lets us know in all of that this is what he will do for Israel. He's going to give back everything that they've lost. And so in that year of Jubilee, there was two trumpets. There were silver trumpets. They were not the ram's horn. There were silver trumpets. There was two of them sound. One was sounded, and then a second one was sounded. And that was the last trumpet. And there could be a reference to that. Whatever it is, it has to do with the wrap-up. The Lord said, I'm wrapping this thing all up. I'm calling my people home and so forth. Everybody still with me? I'm going to finish reading here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So he says here, so uh, verse 53, I'm going to read this again, 53 of 15 of 1 Corinthians. But this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. Verse 54, so when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, that's the dead, when they shall arise, and this mortal, that's the alive, shall put on immortality, that means you'll never die, 
Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. And then the, fat, the last one is Paul's writings here himself. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? And so this is a description of the resurrection as well that is given. Now, I'd like to uh, talk to you a little bit about how we will look in the resurrection. Everybody ready for this? How will we look? What will we be like? And I say that because, folks, a lot of people suffer in their bodies. Some people have handicaps. Some people have deformations. Some people have things that they have carried all their life. God bless them. Let me just say this. Don't miss the rapture. If you're a person that has struggled with things in life, don't miss the coming of the Lord. Amen. If you have endured a lot of things in this life that has been hard and heavy for you, amen, you of all, of all people need to be ready when Jesus comes. And I really mean that. Praise the Lord. I have a, I have a special compassion for men. I don't know, you know, especially, uh, I say especially, we're all working men, but I don't say all, especially working men. That's what we do. We work, you know. But I've seen guys work hard. I've seen them labor all day long, you know, work and work. And I, I lived for years in Miami, and I did a lot of workouts and construction work in Miami in the summertime. You don't think it's hot down there of all places? And I mean, just work out in the hot sun. I've seen guys spend their whole life, you know, laboring and working and building buildings and houses and, and on and on and on and on, you know, uh, just to go through life and then have no hope. And brethren, I speak to all of you here today. You of all people need to be ready to meet the Lord when, you, when he comes. Praise the Lord. I'm serious. Praise the Lord. The Lord has it and it's open to us today. The door of Noah's ark stands wide open right now. Anybody can be saved. It's for whosoever will. It's your will, your choice. If you can believe the gospel and you can, you will, you do. That's why you're here. Amen. You can be saved. All you got to do is say, Jesus I want you to save me. I want to be saved. Praise the Lord. I repent of all my sins. Be baptized in Jesus' name. All you got to do is mention that just about to anybody standing around you. I want to be baptized today. And be baptized in Jesus' name. And the Bible says our sins are washed away. Praise the Lord. And he said, to, the Lord said to uh, Paul, arise and be baptized, washing away your sins. So I'm just telling you here today that anybody can be saved and so this body that we are in will be changed. Now, let me give you a, a verse of scripture here that I want you to look at for a moment. This is one found in uh, 1 John, and it's chapter 3 and verse 2. Chapter 3 and verse 2 of 1 John. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But, it doesn't matter, but, we know that when, we shall, when he shall appear, we shall be like him. That's all that matters, right? The Lord rose on the resurrection day and then he ascended into heaven. When Paul saw him on the road to Damascus in the eighth chapter of the book of Acts, Jesus was brighter than the noonday sun. Think about that, brighter than the noonday sun. I mean, I can't even imagine that. Jesus was brighter than the noonday sun in that glorified body that he had. And he, when he was on this earth for 40 days after the resurrection, 
the glorified body was not glorified yet. That body was a resurrected body. It was not glorified until he ascended into heaven because man could not have looked on him without being blinded or killed or slain or whatever. In the first chapter of the book of Revelation, the Bible says John looked upon Jesus, you know, saw him and said that he fell at his feet as a dead man. He was so powerful in his presence. So we do not yet know how we shall appear. It does not appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And you will be able to look upon him because, praise the Lord, we will be as he is. Another verse of scripture I want to show you is in Philippians. It's another scripture that strengthens. These are just numerous scriptures. Write them down. One day you may want to use them or refer to them in understanding about the resurrection and about the coming of the Lord and the rapture. Verse uh, 20 of chapter 3, Philippians 3.20. 3.20. For our conversation is in heaven, but whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, <clears throat> that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Praise the Lord. And so these are scriptures that tell us a little bit about what we will be, what we'll be like, and how things will be and so forth. So I point all these things out to you here so that you'll understand here how that these things are things that God, praise the Lord, has promised uh, to give us. Praise the Lord. Now, let me uh, go a little further here. I want to I want to refer to you also to a verse of scripture here found in, uh, uh, over here in Luke. These, I'm talking to you about the signs, some of the signs that are given unto us because the Lord is letting us know that there are signs that we'll have. Go to Matthew 25. Let's go to Matthew. Matthew 25, 31. Let me show you something here. One thing, nobody knows when it will happen. This is the coming of the Lord. When you hear TV preachers or radio preachers talking about a certain day, I mean, that was a, the guy, I won't even call his name, I know it, but I won't call it. Three times in my, in my short lifetime, uh, I've heard this guy announced on TV the day that the Lord is coming. And one of them was around 1900, I mean 2000, I'm sorry, 2000 when the 19th, uh, 20th century was going out. Another was later on, they said a day, you know, one of them was way back, the Lord's coming in 1986 or 85, I forgot. 88, thank you, 80. 88 reasons the Lord will come in 1988. And he didn't come in 88, so they said, oh, oh it was a mistake. 89, he's going to come in 89. He didn't come in 89. He didn't come in the year 2000 either. And, and somewhere around 2012, it seems like. <clears throat> they said December the 22nd, am I right? I don't know why it sticks in my mind. If it's wrong, I'm okay. please forgive me. But it seemed like it was December 22nd, 2012, Jesus was going to come. And when they tell you that, scratch it off. The Lord's not coming. Nobody knows the day or the hour. Now, let me read some verses of Scripture. I want you to go with me to Matthew here, uh, chapter 24. Look at verse 31 to, get, for, to kick this off. It says here, he shall send his angels and, and, and a great sound of a trumpet and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Look at verse 36. But of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my father only. I'm skipping down to verse 42, all saving time here. 
Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. Somebody said, oh, it, doesn't, it says what hour, but it doesn't say what, it doesn't, it says what day, it doesn't say what week or what month. Hey, don't play games with God. You know, when it says the hour or the day, it's talking about that generality of time. Okay, nobody knows, period. You know, just put a period there. It says, therefore, verse 44, and therefore be also ready for at such an hour as you think not the, the Son of Man cometh. Look at verse 50. The Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him and in an hour that he is not aware of. So we're just, and he's referring here to a parable that he gave about a servant, Lord going away and coming back. So here's a saying here that uh, it'll come at a time that we're not looking for him because people like to know when the Lord's coming so they can play around and get saved at the very last. It won't happen that way, folks. Trust me. Start living for God and you'll find out, boy, have I been missing life before I found this. This is really where it is. And so you want to be saved and walk with God. One last verse, chapter 25, verse 13. Watch therefore, for you know neither the way nor the hour wherein of the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. So I'm showing you all of these verses of Scripture here to let us know here that nobody knows when the coming of the Lord is coming. Uh, but the Bible does give us signs. The Lord said in one place to the Pharisees, he says, you know the signs of the sky, you can read the sky, and you know if it's going to rain or not, but you cannot see the signs of the time. And so the Lord has given us an understanding of the signs of the time that we might understand things by what we see. I'll give you some other verses in a minute too on that. Look at this very closely. I'm reading from Luke chapter 21, verse 28. <clears throat> I know I'm reading a lot of verses of scripture to you, but if you keep, write these down and save them because these is, this is all about the coming of the Lord and this is the next major event. And if we're ready to meet the Lord when he comes, what you read in the book of Revelation of the judgments will not apply to us. And I'm going to show you. I'm going to tie all that together starting next week. i got some great things to give you. We're going to go in the book of Revelation and study it extensively. We've got some great things to show you. Look at 2128. And when these things begin, this is Luke 2128. When these things begin to come to pass, then look up. That's why I'm talking about the things in Korea and the things in Iran. And when you begin to see all these things come to pass. I'm going to give you some other things next week, too, to show you things that are developing in the world that are letting us know we're close to the time of the coming of the Lord. When, you be, when they begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your, head, your redemption draweth nigh. That's the Lord. Look at verse 35. I'm saving time. For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the earth of the face of the whole earth. That time. Verse 30 says, Watch ye therefore, pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things, all these things, that's the judgments, all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. So what we're doing here is showing you some things here that are coming on the earth and what God has. And so here's why. I'm going to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 2. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 2. And... Uh, I know I'm going a little fast. It's probably hard to keep on your Bible, but I'm assuming they're putting Scripture on here. And thank you, folks, for the diligence that you show in doing the way you do it so quickly. Five and two. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Look at verse four. I'm saving time here. 
But ye, brethren, are not in the darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. We're talking about the rapture now. The Lord wants us to know what day it is. He wants us to know that it's close, you know. And he's letting us know that we are not the children of the night, but we're the children of the day. He says that in verse 6. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Verse 9, and this is very important here. Verse, verse 9, for God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. And that goes along with that verse in Luke that I read to you, that we may escape all of these things of God. And if I had the time, I'd show you the last verse in Revelation chapter 6. 6 is where we looked at the four horsemen uh, that came of the apocalypse. And in Revelations, if you give us that verse of scripture, Revelations chapter, uh, Revelations uh, 6, and the last verse, I forgot what the verse is. I forgot the very last verse. Can you get it for us? There it is. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? And so what we pointed out to you here, basically, folks, is that the Lord is coming, and the Lord's coming back, amen, for his people. He's coming back. One other passage of scripture, and I'm going to close. This is found in uh, Luke uh, chapter 17, verse 26. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the day of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And the flood came and destroyed them all. Notice here that Noah was saved just prior to it. And you and I can be saved, we can be ready to go and living for God and the Lord would catch us away before the judgments come upon the earth. And I'll give you more detail on that starting next week in the, into the book of Revelation. He says here, likewise, verse 28, also as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be the day when the Son of Man is revealed. And then verse 34 uh, through 36, this is the description of the rapture. 34 through 36, that same chapter of Luke uh, 17. I tell you that in that night there should be two men in one bed. The word men here, incidentally, is in italics, meaning it was added there by the translators. So it could just mean two, two whoever. In that, I tell you that in the night there should be two in one bed. The one should be taken and the other should be left. Two, and it says women in Isaac, two shall be grinding together. That is, they grind their meal and their corn and so forth and wheat in the morning, in the morning. The, in the grinding in the morning. The one shall be taken, the other left. Two, and again, men in italics shall be in the field. The one shall be taken, the other left. So you've got the middle of the night, you've got first thing in the morning, you've got the middle of the day. So when Jesus comes, it's going to be one of, it's going to be, that, this used to puzzle people. How can it be? the middle of the day and the middle of the night and the morning at the same time. Well, well, they didn't know the world was round. This was written 2,000 years ago. And then, so now they say, oh, we understand. It depends on what part of the world you're living in. So the rapture will take place for the whole world. We'll all be right. You understand? It may be night for some of us. It may be not for here. It'll be the same. But over in India, it'll be a different time over there, you know, for somebody else. Another part of the world, it'll be somewhere else. Everything, but the Lord is going to come. He'll keep his word, keep his promise so faithfully. And God is so faithful in all things. How many of you love the Lord? Let's stand together and just praise him and thank him here this morning.
Praise the Lord Jesus. We love your name. We praise you for your blessings and goodness. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege to study your word. We ask you to bless our morning service. Touch lives and hearts, God. In thy precious and lovely name we pray. Amen.